Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Impact Podcast. I'm your host, John Pryle. Today, we're chatting with Poly AI, a conversational AI company spun out of University of Cambridge research that builds voice assistants at scale in multiple languages. Now, maybe you're thinking voice assistants, voice response units, and you may be not thinking the most positive things, but let me tell you, things have changed. As CEO and co-founder Nikolai Mirksic puts it, the technology has progressed a lot. In this podcast, you'll get a helpful breakdown of the challenges of building conversational AI, what makes Poly AI different, and you'll get to hear a demo of the tech in action. First, let's hear Nikolai introduce himself and the Poly AI tech. Hi, my name is Nikola Merksic. I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of Poly AI. We are a London-based conversational AI company building voice assistants that provide superhuman customer service over the phone. They sound exactly like humans and they understand humans no matter how they speak, be it in different dialects or in different languages with background noise or with you know kids screaming in the back of a car. We're really trying to give voice assistants a better name and to turn them from a technology that people really hate interacting with into something that uh, they'll feel good when they encounter, the same way you feel great when you see a really good mobile app or a really smooth uh, website that's had a really good customer journey built into it. And when you see it, you know that that enterprise, that brand has your best interests at heart. And you know that's our vision. That's what we want to achieve. The company is a spin out from the University of Cambridge, where I did my PhD together with my co-founders. We all worked under a guy called Steve Young, who is one of the most successful speech recognition researchers of all time. Uh, Steve worked on building just pure speech recognition for a decade or two. And then at one point, he realized that to build systems that we can have conversation with, we're going to need to do more than just speech recognition. We're actually going to have to build robust, multi-layer systems, which for the mistakes that speech recognition is always likely to make because it's a moving target, right? When it starts working for you as a native speaker of English, then we want it to work for me. Then it has to work for me from, you know, across half of a room on a speakerphone and then with background noise and then more difficult accents or very complex vocabulary. So much the same way that computer networking had to build a very complex multi-layer system for communicating between two nodes on a very complex computer network. Communication between humans and machines is also a really hard problem that requires a lot of really complicated technological modules in between to make it a seamless experience where you end up enjoying that conversation. Personally, um, I'm Serbian. I was born in Belgrade, uh, grew up there, uh, came to the UK to study, Almost ended up in investment banking, but last minute I met uh, this group of guys at Cambridge who were starting a company called Vocal IQ. Uh, that was the previous spin out from the research group that I would later join, where I would meet my current co founders. So, really, uh, the group has a long legacy of spinning out advanced technologies from Cambridge into the real world. And um, yeah, we spent a few years there. Apple acquired us to make Siri more conversational. That team is now one of the largest uh, Apple offices outside of the United States. But, you know, after a few years, we left and started Poly AI because we think the best use of this technology and the place where it's most needed is not actually the consumer voice assistant, things like Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa. It's really in customer service where increasingly, you know, you need more and more customer 
service and support for increasingly complex products with you know our aging populations and low unemployment people don't want to do these jobs anymore and yet you know voice is the preferred channel and through covid we had people who you know thought that everything would go to chat but that really didn't happen and we ended up having higher call volumes now than with the pre covid so at this point we have no choice but to make these technologies work really well if we want to have really good customer service I don't know if it's an accurate number or not, but I've heard that it took a while just on the speech recognition side. It had to be very, very accurate for people not to hang up. 95% accuracy on speech recognition mm-hmm. wasn't good enough. People were going to hang up. You had to push it further and further. How do you feel like the accuracy of now the responses have to be in terms of giving customers a, a, a good a good result and that they don't hang up or get frustrated? It's complicated, right? Because the word error rate, so the percentage of words that are transcribed correctly is one metric to look at, right? And the first metric, because that's the first layer. Are you turning voice into text accurately? And afterwards, we have to look at, did we understand it right? And then did we provide the right answer? Now, the word error rate, you know, you could cross 95%, which is the human level performance, but that's not the whole story because which... 5% of words you get wrong really, really matters, right? If you omit an article, um, it's really not a problem for understanding the essence. Um, whereas if you omit a key number or a date or an address name, then you're in real trouble because you're not going to be able to extract the meaning subsequently. So yeah, you could push towards higher levels of performance. And I think that historically many companies did just hope to get even better speech recognition that would then make the natural language understanding, the bit that comes afterwards, a lot easier. Um, That's one way to attack the problem. The other one is to say, hey, if I have a separate module, almost like an autopilot module on top of speech recognition, then you have context, right? I know whether I've asked you for a date, for an address, for a number, for you know the name of a medicine you need, for uh, a bunch of other things, right? And if I know what I asked you, then I can really do a lot to guess what it is that you said, even if the output of the speech recognizer is not perfect. So to look at the accuracy that's needed to facilitate pleasant human-machine conversation, uh, sure, if you had 100%, it would be just fine. But otherwise, what really matters is how cognizant are you of whether you are likely to have understood the user versus not? Because if you don't hear something and you ask very quickly and you just make it clear that, hey, I wasn't able to understand that, could you say it in a different way? That's not as frustrating as I didn't catch that. Repeat that, right? That's like showing very little contextual sensitivity to the fact that you are clearly having a sub-perfect customer experience, right? I love that. I love your discussion of error rates and accuracy. And there's a tremendous, uh, just a short video on your website where someone's speaking and on the bottom of the screen, you see that you're extracting what's relevant, the making an appointment, the time or the date. And you're right. The articles don't matter. The key is extracting these contexts. And I hadn't really thought about the degree of interaction but I guess one of my biggest frustrations, you know, with a with a old fashioned IVR was you have to listen 
to the menus and they've decided in advance, you know, what they want you to do. It's a, it's almost like a faceted way of working through the system. And I, I find that very frustrating. So you, you've really gone a, a step beyond that, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, typically, you know, the first generation of this technology was press one for credit cards, two for debit cards, three for mortgages, four for car loans, and you wait and you wait. And eventually, hopefully the thing you called about is there and you navigate your way to where you want it to go. Now, the next iteration of that was voice IVR, where uh, you would say, hey, I'm calling about my mortgage. And that would hopefully automatically select that number four, right? But it was still very much a tree-based system where you would have to just hope that what you say is mapped to one of the options. And if it's not, it actually led to much higher levels of frustration because you wouldn't know what to do, right? You're there helpless. And what then happens is misrecognized options would actually get people routed to different contact centers. You're calling about a mortgage, but you end up talking about car insurance. And at that point, those are really expensive for the contact center and really bad for the customer experience. You know, what we do right now is create fully fluid conversational systems where you express yourself freely, completely open-endedly. You don't have to guess what kind of like IVR tree is behind because it's not really a tree anymore. It becomes a highly dynamic graph that can't even be visualized in 2D because you know it skips to different parts of the conversation. It measures confidence intervals for the system so that we know whether we're likely to... We know whether there is doubt over what we think you want. And then we're able to say, hey, was that about mortgages or was it about you know multi-party insurance? Right. But it could be mortgage payments, mortgage interest rates. So you, you've got the ability to get the customer down the mortgage branches of the tree. If you still have some context that you don't know, they say XYZ, you don't have XYZ. You still end up in the same boat where they just send them to a representative. So at the end of the day, you still need to know all the branches of the trees that you want, correct? Correct. You need to know exactly what you need to do for each of the possible outcomes. So you do need to map out the customer journey but you can create a substantially more nonlinear ones. So say if someone were to say, hey, I'm calling about renewing my mortgage and I'd like the term length to be 20 years and I want it to be you know, a fixed tracker mortgage for five years, you could parcel that and just go, cool, well, look, the interest rate for that one would be that much. Great. Uh, rather than, okay, mortgages, what is the term length? Okay, would you like a fixed or a variable rate mortgage, right? Because so, that's how those systems typically work. So now this just allows you to really just speak in a much less constrained way. So in terms of ROI, I'd say one of the benefits I immediately hear is we'll get the customer to the right answer sooner, where it, I feel like the current systems are there to keep you away from the customer reps for as long as possible. I feel like you open up, if you installed a fresh IVR, they would default to the message that says, please listen to the menus option because they've changed, even if they haven't, because it makes people yeah. listen. Or yeah. please understand the due to Kai call volumes, you're going to be delayed. And I think they're lying to me. <laughs> I just think they want me to wait <laughs> on the phone longer. <laughs> I think there are definitely examples of that, right? I think that you know when you look at just implementing this technology, it's hard to... There are many ways to think about ROI, right? One is you are producing a much better customer experience. And that can't always be quantified, but it leads to a substantially higher, you know, like customer satisfaction. And in the end, it trickles down to revenue in many different ways. Number one is you never leave people waiting, 
right? right? So they're much less likely to churn as customers because they just feel like, you know, first rate clients. If you're unable to help them with the voice system and the system is able to quickly detect that and pass them on to humans, you now have a really good hybrid contact center where, say, 50% of the queries are dealt with in an automated way. And the other half now go to a contact center that's no longer way oversubscribed. So you're helping your contact center by making their lives a lot more livable. And there is a lot less churn on the agent side there. So they stay for longer, they become better trained. And again, your customer experience improves. But then, you know, there there are other things that are more industry specific. So for instance, we work with a number of hospitality companies, hotels like Marriott or, you know, large restaurant groups in the UK, like Whitbread and Green King. We help them never miss a call. Now, these are establishments that take calls in a distributed way. It's not a contact center. It's the reception of a hotel or the front desk stuff of a restaurant. And if they pick up every call and take their reservation, answer a question, compared to the current state where labor shortages are hitting everyone, especially the hospitality industry, both sides of the pond, they tend to miss between 30 and 50% of the calls. If you're missing that many, you know, some people will call again, some people might walk in, some will go online and do it in a digital way. That's what people are hoping for. But the data we have suggests that anywhere between three to 5% of the people will just not show. And wow. that's it. You've lost three to 5% of your revenue. So, you know, when we started working with these companies, we thought we were selling convenience and just, you know, faster, better customer experience. But in the end, it ended up being massive revenue generation. And to this date, hospitality remains our largest vertical because we're just able to do things for them that are hugely valuable from both customer experience, but also from like the top line uh, perspective. It sounds like it's critical as you think about the, you know, the kind of the corpus, the trees that you have to define. And uh, I'm really impressed again, going back to that thing on the website and someone was making a restaurant reservation and said, I have children. The response was, do you need a high chair? Obviously somebody with industry knowledge puts that there. How do you work with your customers to get that level of depth and insights? And obviously it helps knowing the vertical you're in, that it's a restaurant reservation versus a hotel reservation versus just a a general query. And I want to come back to general query, but let's talk about that vertical case and how do you develop that level of depth? So for all the industries where we have sizable deployments, and that would be, you know, hospitality, financial services, telco, government, banking is huge. We have a number of templates for different clients where they can start building their own thing and customizing it. And then with some clients, our solutions consulting teams would go in, understand their contact center and propose the full design of the agent. In other cases, the clients themselves are able to use those templates to customize their solution. And in some cases, it's a partner like an SI delivering those solutions to, uh, to large clients. You know, these are companies that know their processes really well, that are basically part of their IT team. So we're pretty good at mapping it or teaching our partners how to map those processes to build a really good voice assistant. But, you know, there's no shortcut. Someone somewhere is going to have to understand exactly what a good customer experience should be before we're able to turn it into an incredible, you know, human machine conversation. So that's fine. And obviously that makes a lot of sense. And of course, things evolve. So let, let me talk a little bit about learning. There's a there's a particular car company that has implemented voice commands and they don't tell you what commands are there. 
they say you can do things mm-hmm. such as and you and the thing would be change the driver's temperature to 68 degrees they didn't say you could say i'm hot and it lowers the temperature raises the temperature or lowers it by three degrees and it turns out a bunch of users are you know have a shared google doc for the entire world to see every command because they don't want to give you the answer they want to learn from your question so is there a learning yeah. model as well yeah of course I think that, you know, for us, it's really important that we create systems that people speak to in a very natural way, the way that they would just want to speak naturally. Because I think that this technology has been held back by systems where, you know, you were taught that you have to speak in a specific way and that immediately just changes your, you know, overall satisfaction with that interaction. So, you know, we try to build systems that you have to interact with exactly in the way that you would want to interact as a human being speaking maybe to another human or just the way that is very comfortable for you. So we try to elicit the response that's not a pre-programmed response where you have to know how to speak to the system because that leads to immediately much lower satisfaction with that interaction. So, you know, say you were calling me, I would create a system that says, Nicola Polia, how can I help? If I pick up the phone that way, well, then you're very likely to just speak to me as if I were a human being. And if I understand, then we're building trust. And this trust-led model is really important to us because if you trust that I as a system will hand off when I can't do a good job, and if otherwise you trust me to understand exactly what you're saying when you speak freely, then you know if I misunderstand you in a sentence and ask you to repeat, there won't be much love lost. You'll probably just repeat and it'll be okay. And we have thousands and thousands and actually millions of examples of calls that go that way. Interesting. The system sounds so good. Do you feel like you have to identify yourself and say, hi, I'm uh, your artificial assistant or however you call yourself? Or you just oh, that's just one of it? the favorite debating points inside the company. We used to think that we should say it at the start. And then we ran some experiments. And it turns out that if you don't actually... Uh, lead with that, with that disclaimer, you get people who interact with you a lot more freely. And then if you actually understand, you build that trust and you're much more likely to get to a successful resolution of the call. If you say that you're an automated agent, a lot of people have had very bad experiences with this technology in the past. And if you evoke all of those experiences at the start, you're just putting yourself on the back foot. So, you know, ethically, if at any point... Uh, we detect confusion, we will add passing, hey, I'm an automated agent that can help you, depending on the use case, can help you amend your reservation, right? That's great. Or um, that can help you with your, you know, banking account management. But if people ask, of course, we come clean. We don't hide the fact that we are an automated agent, but we've seen no upside to deliberately sounding robotic or having long verbose disclaimers at the start. Fascinating. I remember it's historical and I get that we live with these histories of IVR, but I remember when I think it was American Airlines changed their system and put ums in. It was clearly an automated agent, but just hearing the ums, let me look up that up for you, made me feel better. But you're, yeah. you're obviously leaps and bounds beyond that. For sure. But yeah, I think that like that design aspect is something that a lot of leading teams that had high accuracies didn't really understand, right? And then those that understood design maybe had subpar systems without that weren't accurate and powerful enough to express a complex nonlinear conversation. So we hope to marry those two together into things that will finally elevate the general, you know, feeling towards these systems. Nice. In all cases, you're reactive in terms of 
someone calls in and the phone gets picked up. I'm contrasting that in my head to a kind of a proactive call. And I think it was Google duplex making haircuts appointments that kind of got people all in a bit of a tizzy. Your design is always to stay no, reactive? Or no, no, no. We do, outbound. we do outbound as well. Outbound is actually a lot easier because really? the agent dictates the conversation, right? If I call you and, you know, my whole thing is like, hey, John, you, you, you owe some money and you know which money you owe, right? It's for your car. And I'm calling you from that and that bank, right? Um, then it's like, well, okay, like, are we going to talk about it now? Are you going to give me your like payment details or are we going to talk about it at a different time or are you unable to pay? And then we go with one of those and we're done, right? Assuming you picked up the phone, which you probably didn't. So in that case, um, it's actually a much easier thing to build for because it's much more directed and less complex than a free form conversation where, because, you know, it's kind of like chess. It's the opening move. If I say, how can I help? The board is yours to play. If I start with a particular move, your set of moves is a lot more constrained. So you can do a lot less. Love it. How about idioms? Obviously, you've been deployed for many years. How do you pick up and learn and constantly learn? There are things that people say today that I didn't know a year ago because phrases change and idioms change. So how do you pick up? We'll stay with one language and then we'll go to multilingual next. But how do you learn and focus on idioms? Is there a research team or are you learning from the interactions? How, How does that grow and evolve for you? You know, we've been working on NLU, natural language understanding, for for a long time, especially in the context of dialogue. You know, we were lucky to be among the first to work on deep learning-based approaches to doing all the different parts of a dialogue system, which meant that we got the chance to work on pre-training, so kind of like ways to consume large bodies of text to get models with very high levels of performance without having specific training examples for the kind of conversation that we're trying to to implement, but rather for just all conversations. So for idioms, for very complex expressions, for you know synonyms, stuff like that, we've seen a lot of text already. Our models are pre-trained on millions of conversations that we get from Twitter, Quora, Reddit, from all sources you can imagine and find online freely, right? So they've seen a lot of text and then hence they're pretty robust around knowing which idiom is likely to be a good signal for a particular intent. And that's the second piece of it, right? When you're trying to understand, let's say one of 200 things that you can say in a banking conversation, there are only so many idioms that will cause confusion between whether it's intent number 47 or intent number 55, right? Right. So it's uh, a less difficult problem than, you know, the abstract problem of overall deep language understanding, uh, where, you know, the, the academic community as a whole has not gone really far. But when you constrain the problem, you get to do a lot better. That makes a lot of sense. Again, because we're talking about use cases and focus. So I love it. Now, so let's talk about uh, multilingual. Lingual. How how many languages do you support? Yeah, at the moment we do, we do just over 50. It's only been a 50. Long time <laughs> Don't say just. Only, only, 50 is a lot. <laughs> only 50. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's really you know when when you when you're when when you're a startup and you know an enterprise software company, the sad thing is, while we'd love to work on getting coverage for over two hundred, and you know we have a team uniquely qualified to understand, you know that I don't know Slavic languages have difficult morphology and some African languages have difficult phonetics and every language has its own challenges. The truth is. It's also kind of like intersected with the number of countries where there are large enterprises that can benefit from from the solution. So 50 is at this point more than what we more than what we need, 
really. Really. But it's a long-standing passion of ours. You know, we have one model running across different languages and across all of our different use cases. Hence the name Poly AI, because the system is a polymath and a polyglot. And you know, we worked on this stuff for, for a long time, training things that would train say in English with a bit of Italian and German peppered in. And then they would get really high performance over all three and better performance, say, in English than they would if they had English data alone. So these kind of like inherently multilingual models are something that we really care about and look forward to bringing to life. The other interesting thing to say about that is, especially for you know your North American audiences, is there's been a lot of voice IVR in the US, a lot more than even in the UK and way more than in continental Europe. You know, the reason for that is there are bigger companies for whom the previous generation of technology, while it didn't have great customer experience implications, it had good economic ROI, OPEX reductions, you know, reductions in contact center size because the IVR could handle 10, 20% of interactions. These are companies like Nuance, IPsoft, Interactions, the previous generation. You know, they managed to do quite a bit in that they've kind of like poisoned the pool. People in America now and in Canada now really hate these interactions. Whereas, you know, Brits are more open-minded. And when it comes to continental Europe, they've barely experienced them. And that, what it offers great potential because it's frequent that if a particular geography misses one generation of technology, and then the next one comes in, you see much faster adoption than, than if you had the previous technology. So for example... Fiber internet is a lot better in Eastern Europe than it is in Western Europe. And that's just because I think that ADSL connectivity and stuff like that was a bit weaker in Eastern Europe than it was in Western Europe. So you have these cycles. And I think, you know, the hope is that we can do a lot more in Europe now with more open-minded audiences and consumers. It's the same thing of lower developed countries bypass running copper wires went right to wireless. So I, I hadn't thought about that as a huge opportunity. That's great. So here, something I've never done in my, I don't know how many years I've been doing this podcast, probably close to 10 years. We haven't had a product demo on the pod before, but we're going to let you listen to a demo of Poly AI in action. Here it is. Cafe Bridge Portsmouth, how can I help you today? Uh, hi there. Um, can I book a table for 1.30 this coming Sunday for four people? Let me just have a look at what space we have. Okay. We have a table on the 24th of July at 1.30 p.m. for four people. Is that all okay for you? Yeah, that's great. Great. Shall I go ahead and book that in for you? Please do. Can I have your full name, please? Yep. My full name is Emily Schaefer. Can you spell your last name for me? Sure thing. It's uh, S-C-H... A-E-F-F-E-R, Schaefer. Can we reach you on this number? Yes, you can. Perfect. I'm just waiting to see that go through. And that's done. Is there anything else that you need to let me know? Any allergies or other notes that I should make on your booking? Uh, Yeah, someone in the group is celiac. Uh, can you make a note of that, please? We cater the dietary requirements, but all our food is prepared in the same kitchen. I'm just making a note on your booking now, but please remind someone from our team when you get here. Yep, I can do that. Is there anything else I can help you with? Uh, I think that's everything. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. So let me ask a little bit about 
differentiation and where do you think um tell me about your team and where your kind of differentiation comes from both both obviously the people are coming out of cambridge you've got really talent but how do you feel like you differentiate your product there are really three main pillars of differentiation the first one is uh, while we do both voice and chat, we are an omni-channel solution. Uh, when it comes to voice, we are really, really committed to building incredible voice experiences. So uh, we have the spoken language understanding modules that allow us to reach incredibly high levels of performance over voice channels, over the phone, which is quite a lossy channel with you know different callers interacting with it in different ways. That's one piece, and we talked about that quite a bit already. The second piece is when you start building up an application for um, a new domain, uh, you typically, for other solutions, need thousands of examples to get to a respectable level of performance when training that algorithm. Uh, we're able to do it with one to two orders of magnitude less data because we have such powerful pre-trained models. Tremendous. Uh, another advantage of that is that, well, I mean, this goes in different ways. We're cheaper. And, you know, especially on the kind of like implementation side, you know, we charge a fraction of what others would because we can just do it really fast. The second one is that we can do it really fast. It's not a six-month project. We've deployed systems in, you know, a few weeks, in two, wow. three weeks and with quite a few clients. And that's not something that's very typical for this technology. The third bit is we don't need a huge amount of your data, which may contain uh, personal identifiable information. So from a compliance perspective, getting going with us is a lot easier and has less administrative hurdles than other vendors do. You know, I mean, there, there's design, right? As, as you'll hear in that demo, we make sure that our things sound really human to elicit that engagement. And then the final bit is that it's actually a platform. It's not really a managed services solution in the same sense the previous generation of this technology were. It's something that we provide a template. Customers then use it to create their own solution to finalize it. And then they're able to really have a much lower total cost of ownership because they don't get an invoice from Poly AI every time they need a bit of a revamp or a change Got in it. a specific part of the system. So let's end with a couple of fun questions. Question number one, what about the voices that people expect to hear? I'm not sure I'm comfortable. I think it, Siri allows you to like put your friend's voice on it. Or What's your uh, expectation, what people want to hear? Oh, we are really big on getting the branding, right? So say, you know, if it's a taxing company, we'll have a Texas voice. If it's a Scottish company, we'll have uh, you know, a Scotsman or a Scotswoman speaking. If, uh, you know, we really work hard to capture the brand so that, you know, the vocabulary, the mannerisms, the speed, the humor uh, reflect the brand. And that's really big. I Love say, it. you know, next to all of our technical advantages, this is one of the main reasons that our clients like working with us. Great. Nicole, I'd really like to hear your thoughts. Where do you think we'll be in five years with this technology? Kind of predict what would be your vision of where things might look X years. You could pick the year, but X years out, what do you think things will look like? So look, uh, voice is, is the dominant channel, and I think it will remain to be quite a dominant channel. But really what we hope to achieve is just turn the world into a place where if you hear a voice assistant, maybe because it has a different dial tone, you're just like, oh, great. The same way you feel like when you see a good website and it's like, oh, great, they have a nice website. It's easy for me to do what I want to do. That's the hope for five years, right? Um, I think that the consumer voice assistants are slowly finding product market fit, but they've not really become an essential part of many people's lives. I mean, I have them in every room, but I'm hardly representative. I'm really biased towards this technology. 
But, you know, I think it's all progressing. And it's kind of like laptops, right? They snuck up on us, right? We knew about them for 10 years. And then one day we all had laptops and very few of us had workstations. So I think in the same sense, voice assistants will just find different applications. And, you know, AR and VR may be a big part of enabling that. So, you know, I think that we'll just end up living in a world where we use them for all sorts of things seamlessly in our lives, you know, in our car, at home, uh, you know, while walking around with your smartwatch, with your AR headset. And, you know, it's just going to become a lot easier to do things that will start working really well. So that barrier of you trying, failing, and then getting put off, we've got to go through a few iterations of that to get to a point where it is part of our lives. Because it is really easy to express uh, you know, we are conditioned to express ourselves with our voices. And there's a reason we're speaking now instead of doing this over email, right? That is a great way to wrap this up. I love where things are today. And I'm looking forward to where things are going to, going to go tomorrow. Nicola, thank you so much. Polly AI is a great story. And thanks for spending the time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>